Imagine what it would be like to have someone that you walked with, were friends with, learned from, ate meals together, laughed with for three years, and they told you that they were going away and weren't coming back. And then they said, this is good for you. It's good that I'm going away. How many of you have had someone that you know well who's moved away or maybe passed away? And before that, they say, well, it's, it's good I'm going away. How many of us will be thinking, yeah, that's good you're going away? No, we wouldn't think it's good. But these are the words that Jesus gives to his followers in this passage that we just read. And so we're going to take a look at that and think, why would it be good? How could it be good that Jesus went away from his followers then? And then maybe what that might mean for us today. So we're in John chapter, the end of John chapter 15, the beginning of John chapter 16. One of the longer passages, this whole section from John 13 through 17, these five chapters where Jesus is giving this end of his time with his disciples. And so the Gospel of John, one of these four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel of John is a little bit different, but it focuses on Jesus as the light and the life. And the first 12 chapters build this up as Jesus proclaims what life is and who he is. And then the pace slows way down in chapter 13. These five chapters, 13 through 17, are one kind of long time with Jesus and his disciples. One night, covered in all these things. And Jesus is giving, some call it a farewell discourse, maybe a mission discourse, as he's setting the stage for his departure and what the disciples will be doing when he leaves. And so I want to kind of frame this because what we're reading tonight is in the middle of this big, long thing. And so in the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus, at the start of the meal, he takes off his cloak, and he wraps a towel around me, washes the disciples' feet. A sign of his humility, but also a sign of what is about to come when Jesus dies, and he washes them of their sins, and he washes us. And then he calls his disciples to do the same, not to just act in humility, not to simply serve one another, not simply to wash one another's feet, but to be willing to lay down their lives. And then Jesus goes on, and he says, one of you is going to betray me. And then Peter one of the followers, he tells Peter, he's like, and when it comes down to it, when I'm arrested, you're going to deny me. So at this point, it's probably not a real happy meal. We like to get together with friends and family. And here's Jesus already said, one of you is going to betray me and you're going to deny me. And the disciples start to get a little bit worried at the start of chapter 14. And remember, again, these chapter breaks are added much later. But so what we call chapter 14 starts off, and the disciples are getting a little bit distressed at this moment. Jesus says, it's, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And he goes on and he begins to tell them about the coming of Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide them. And he encourages them what that's going to be like. And again, this is one of the longest single speeches of Jesus, but also one of the longest sections that talks a lot about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then in John chapter 15, he begins by giving this picture of the vine and the branches that we talked about last week. How we're called to be attached to Jesus or to abide in him, but we're also called to go. We're called to abide and to go, to remain attached to Jesus so that we can draw life from him and bear fruit. But that fruit is sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And so we remain attached, but we go. So we abide and go. We go and we abide. And that seems like, okay, we're, we're back up on the high note. And then Jesus comes back down again near the end of chapter 15 and says, oh, the world's going to hate you. More good news. 
And it reminds Jesus, he's saying, the world is going to hate you because it hated me first. And when we're associated with Jesus, we're hated. Now, sometimes we think everything that goes around in the world, every time somebody says something bad about the church, it's because, well, Jesus said we'd be hated. Sometimes it's just because we're jerks, okay? So stop being jerks. It, it, this, this doesn't say the world will hate you because you're jerks. This says the world will hate you because you're attached to Jesus. And so he's moving on in that. And then he comes back again to the passage that we're looking at where the role of the Spirit and the role it, and it begins, start of chapter 15, or end of chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So he begins here in part by describing who the Spirit is, who Holy Spirit is and what he does. And the language here, like the way the NIV uses it, the advocate. Some of you may have different translations. Sometimes it says counselor. Some simply say the paraclete. But the language is really that sense of a friend. And it's really that friend who, um, it only appears a few times in the Scripture, mostly here in the Gospel of John, one other time in one of John's letters, and it's confusing. So there's the Gospel of John, and then there's three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Same John, different letters, or different kind of genres, different things. Sort of thing. And it occurs also there where it's talking about Jesus being an advocate for us before the Father. But it's a picture of in a courtroom where you've gone before a judge, and the advocate is the person who's on your side, who's kind of testifying to your character, who's saying about who you are, who's, who's speaking on your behalf. It's the friend of the accused. It's, it's the encourager. And so as Jesus describes the Holy Spirit and says the advocate, he's giving a picture of one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside us and to encourage us and to speak on our behalf. But he goes on, he says, the Spirit goes out from the Father and I will send to you from the Father. And so there's this picture of where the Spirit comes from. And so the disciples have been with Jesus. They've been with Him, as I said, for three years now. They've been learning from Him. And so in a sense, what Jesus is doing as He's talking about, I will send you the Spirit, and the Spirit will come, is He's kind of vouching for the Holy Spirit, if you will, saying, you can trust the Holy Spirit. Just a couple of weeks ago in church here, I heard a, overheard a conversation, and and somebody had needed some help at church, and someone else had recommended a, um, a, a contractor to help out with some of that work and stuff. And the person who was getting the work done, they didn't know this person, but they trusted because they knew this other person. So they had confidence that whoever this person is sending, I can trust them because I trust him. And so what Jesus is doing is the same thing here. He's saying, I'm sending this Holy Spirit. And they're like, oh, we trust Jesus, so we're going to trust this Holy Spirit. Because he's sent by Jesus. And it says the Spirit will testify. But then it says also the disciples will testify. So there's a partnership. And so it says, you must all, it says, he will testify about me, meaning the Holy Spirit. And you must also testify. And so there's this partnership going on. And then we come back to trials again. Um, started chapter 16. Where again, you know, uh, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. Because... They'll put you out of the synagogue and someone might kill you and they might think it's a good thing. But what's Jesus doing here? He's helping the disciples again know what sort of challenges they're going to face. And he's warning them 
so that they're not surprised. What if you go to the doctor and the doctor is getting ready to do something and they say, well, this isn't going to hurt. And they're like, no, that hurt a lot, okay? And, and sometimes it's a whole lot better. It's like, okay, this is going to hurt. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing here is saying, this is going to be hard. There are going to be people persecuting. And I'm warning you now so that when it comes, you won't fall away. Jesus is telling them, don't be afraid of the persecution. What you need to fear, what you need to be worried about is not falling away, not renouncing your faith. And then he comes to that verse that I mentioned earlier, down to verse 7, chapter 16. But very truly, I tell you, it is for you good, you're good that I'm going away. Why is it good? Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so this is where Jesus is saying, this is why it's good. Because the advocate, the spirit is coming. And we're going to focus on these next few verses here and see what does the Holy Spirit do? Why is it so important for the Holy Spirit to come? And we can see how the spirit is active and working inside of people. That it convicts, it unveils, it proves. And so in verse 8, it says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And the sense that I think what Jesus is getting at here is that the world, and by that Jesus means everyone, but it, particularly those outside the church, is like, they don't understand those things. They don't understand what sin is. They don't understand what righteousness is. They don't understand about judgment. So it's not so much in this particular passage where the Spirit's coming to point out to people their particular sins, but it's talking more about the nature of these sins. What is sin? What is, what is righteousness? What is judgment? Frederick Drayle Bruner, one commentator, talks about it. He says, what Jesus is saying here is he's talking about What's wrong, what's right, and who won? But about sin, righteousness, and judgment. What's wrong, what's right, and who won? But the Spirit doesn't just do it on His own. He works through us. And so earlier, we saw that, but here back in chapter 14, but it says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and I will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so the Spirit works through us but it was also working there at the start of the passage we read when it says the Spirit will come and He will testify and you will testify. So there's this partnership. So the Spirit, the Advocate, does things through the church. So I want us to think about what are these three things that the Spirit is doing in this thing in particular. So Jesus goes on and says, well, about sin, because people do not believe in me. So when we think of sin, we all have our categories of what what is sin and stuff. But Jesus here, when he's talking about the understanding of sin, the basic sin or the basic problem the world faces is they don't believe. That's the fundamental issue. We did a 10-week study here that I led on human sexuality. We talked a lot about loving people and, and in spite of differences, we were talking about issues of LGBTQIA+, and all the things going on. But one of the central things we learned and we want to discuss is that sometimes we get focused on sins and there was a lot of discussion about particular sins and why maybe some sins more than others. 
But what we wanted to remember was, as the church, as we're seeing people outside of the church, living in sin, committing sin and stuff, our primary call, the first consideration, our first priority is not to convince them what they're doing is wrong or sinful. Our first priority is to convince them they need Jesus and to believe in Him. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. It says about sin because people do not believe in me. If you go back through the Gospel of John, it comes again and again. John 3, 16, that whoever believes in him. Or at the end of John chapter 20, like, these words are written so that you will believe. And if you were to read through the Gospel of John, you'd see this language of believe come up again and again and again. And so one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to help people understand that what they need is to believe in Jesus. So if we were to look around the world, we might think and we might see, oh, there's all kinds of problems in the world. There's greed, there's war, there's hatred, there's immorality. Those things are absolutely true. But our first and greatest priority isn't to convince the world that greed is the problem. Our first priority isn't to convince them that hatred is the problem. Our first priority isn't to convince them that violence is the problem or go down the list. Our first priority and the first priority of the Spirit is to convince them that they need Jesus and to believe in Him. And so we're going to spend some time after Easter. We're going to finish up the Gospel of John. Well, we won't quite finish up the Gospel of John and Easter. We're going to continue on a little bit in the Gospel of John after Easter. But we're going to spend some time talking about how do we do that? How do we help people believe? Because it's hard conversations to have. And so we're going to look at a model for trying to help people along those ways to take steps closer to belief. And it's going to look at, a lot of people are a long ways from belief. And sometimes we want to jump them from complete distrust to belief in a day. And sometimes God does that, but oftentimes it's a journey. And so we're going to be looking at what this like... But hear what John wants, Jesus wants to remind us of is that we're partnering with the Spirit in that sharing. So the Spirit is doing it, and we always want to remember that. Sometimes we think, oh, evangelism. That's the word I was trying to avoid saying, right? Because that scares people. If I told you I was doing a series on evangelism, no one would show up. <laughs> Maybe fewer people than if I said I was doing a series on money, but they're kind of these categories of things that we don't like to hear about. And sometimes it's because evangelism, at least for me, the struggle is because I know it, I feel like it's something I'm supposed to do. It's like something I want to do, but I don't do it sometimes. I don't do it often. I frequently don't do it because it's hard. It's confusing. It's a struggle. It's a terror. And what Jesus in part is reminding us here is he's saying, the role of the Spirit is to help people believe. In other words, kind of a preview of this, what we'll be doing after Easter is, it's not our job to make someone else believe. The Spirit will be doing that. The Spirit may use us and can work through us, but sometimes we think, well, I've got to make them believe. And so if I can muster the right arguments, if I can convince them, if I can tap their emotions the right way, if I can pull on the right strings, if I can get all the right things down, then I can get them to believe. You are not going to make someone believe. The Holy Spirit will. 
working through you and in you. And the other is, you're not alone in this. When you are out and you're talking to someone about this fundamental need for belief in Jesus, the Spirit's there with you. And that's why Jesus says, I am sending you an advocate, someone who will be alongside you and helping you. And he goes on and he talks now. So that's the first one, what's wrong, but now what's right? And so he says, he comes to approve the world to be wrong about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. It's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. I had to read that for a while and say, what is the connection between righteousness and Jesus going to the Father where He's not going to be seen any longer. Righteousness is what? What's right, what's just, what's good. And there's this thing about Jesus is going away and the disciples won't see Him anymore. I think what's going on here is Jesus knows what's about to happen. So again, setting the context, we didn't fully set this. So Jesus is at a meal with His disciples. It's the Passover time. It's an evening and the next day, something significant is going to happen. Jesus is going to die on a cross and be placed in a tomb. And three days later, be raised from the dead. Kind of a minor point in setting the context, right? So there's this key point. And so Jesus is going away, and you will see him no more. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is this. He's drawing a picture of the crowds that are watching. So imagine yourself as one of the Roman soldiers, one of the crowds, one of the people that is gathered around on that Friday and watching Jesus on a cross be crucified. Who do they put on crosses? Criminals, right? That's who, who ends up on a cross. And even if you're a Jewish person and you see him there on the cross, you might be thinking of the Old Testament where it talks about the one who's hung on a tree is cursed. And so Jesus, to the watching world, to those watching, is what? Is unrighteous. He's a criminal. He's wrong. And then he's put in a tomb. And for all intents and purposes, for most people, what? He's gone. He's dead. He's, he's done. We've dealt with this criminal. But for the one who sees with the eyes of faith, it's righteousness displayed on the cross. And then Jesus simply isn't gone. His body is not simply missing from the tomb on Sunday. But what? He's been resurrected. He's been raised. And then 40 days later, what? He goes to be with his father. He's no longer seen, but his disappearance isn't about him being dead. His, different, his disappearance is about him now exalted to the right hand of the father. So the world is thinking, they're celebrating, Jesus is gone, but the disciples know the truth. And so what the Spirit is doing is helping us to understand that, that on the cross, righteousness is displayed, that Jesus has accomplished what he was sent to do. Many would look and say, well, he was a failure. He didn't do anything. What did he do? He died on a cross. But the Spirit helps us see, no, he didn't fail. He did exactly what he was sent to do, and he revealed what? God's righteousness, God's justice, God's goodness. And the world wants to try and deny that. 
I keep talking about it, but we look around our world and the world wants to deny what righteousness looks like. The world wants to live a path where how do we gain what we want? We gain it through money or we gain it through violence. And Jesus says there is a different way, a different way from this path of violence and darkness and hate, but instead the way of Jesus, which is light and love. And so Jesus is showing this. And so when it says the Spirit will convict us, the Spirit will show us what true righteousness looks like. And that righteousness was displayed on the cross, that that was God's justice, that was God's grace, that was God's mercy showed when Jesus gave his life and then when God raised him from the dead. So his not being there and being with the Father is about his righteousness. And finally, it says that about judgment. Because the prince of the world now stands condemned. So I'm going to prove the world wrong about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. And so again, we're going to the cross. Jesus had been put on trial. He'd been hung on a cross. And it seemed as if what was going on was the world was judging Jesus. And it was the flip of that, where Jesus, where God the Father is judging the world. And what happens on the cross is the prince of the world, the Satan, the devil, the demon, is defeated on the cross. He's condemned, as is a world which, was, which does not acknowledge Jesus. And so what the Spirit is doing here is continuing to convince the world of the good news. And by the good news, he means all of this that he's been talking about. So it's convincing the world about these things. And we're invited to participate and join in in doing these things. To help the world know the need to believe, to help the world to understand the righteousness that comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. To help the world understand the condemnation, the destruction. That one that Jesus won. He didn't, wasn't, Jesus wasn't beaten on the cross. He won on the cross. And that language that you hear me use sometime, and it's language drawn from the ancient church of, on the cross, Jesus defeated sin, death, and the devil. And there's this defeat that goes on. And so this is what's happening. And so the Spirit helps to convince the world to do those things and then invites us to do that. And you think, that's a big order. So my job is to go out there and convince the world they need to believe in Jesus. That Jesus displayed God's righteousness and that they're condemned, and, but Jesus defeated sin, death, and the devil. That's a tall order, isn't it? But what's Jesus been saying all along here? That we're not on our own. And he goes on in verses 12 through 15, basically saying that the Spirit will lead us in that way. He says, but when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all the truth. And it's this picture of he's leading us in the way of Jesus. The Spirit will lead us in the way of Jesus. And so I want us to think about that as we conclude, is to think, what is the way of Jesus? How did Jesus convince people of things? He loved them. Jesus talks a whole lot about that, doesn't he? The world will know you by your love for one another. Jesus hung out with people. He did these things. And he's saying, this is the way of Jesus by loving. We're called, and this is what the Spirit is doing, is shaping our lives to live like Jesus, his words and his actions. That best-known verse from John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, what, that he sent his only one and only son. 
And what did the son do? He gives his life on a cross. He's saying that's what the love of God looks like, is the love that falls and lays down his life. Jesus' love for the world caused him to lay down his life, and he's saying, and now I'm sending the Spirit because I'm calling you to go and do the same thing. I'm calling you to go and lay down your life, to put aside all your desires and put aside all those things and lay down your life for the sake of the world. And if Jesus had just said that, like, I want you to go die, that would be a short line, wouldn't it? But he's saying, I'm not sending you alone, and I'm sending an advocate, someone to go alongside you and to be with you and to encourage you, to lift you up and to help you and give you the right words and to be the one who is convincing the world of these things. I just need you to go and tell about it. And so these were words of Jesus encouraging his disciples in that moment. They're in a moment of panic. They're in that moment of, what are we going to do? Jesus is going, I don't know what's going to happen. He said he's going to die. Peter's denying him. And she's saying, it's going to be okay. And now we stand after that. We're, we're post-resurrection. We're post the sending of the Spirit. But sometimes we need that same encouragement. Need to be reminded that these words are also for us. That Jesus has not left us alone. He's called us to a hard task. He's called us to be with him, to abide and to go with him. He's called us to share the good news, to help people believe in him, to, to talk about the righteousness of God, to talk about judgment. But he doesn't leave us alone. And so we, may we hear that good news this week. That as we go, we're not alone. But the Spirit goes with us. An advocate, a guide, a friend, a counselor, sent by Jesus to help us on the way. We have an advocate, and we can be thankful for that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to give his life so that we might have life. And we thank you that you sent your spirit also to help us to live like Jesus, but also to share the good news of who Jesus is and all that he has done. God, may we remember that you walk beside us, that you walk ahead of us, over us, behind us, all around us, and that your Holy Spirit is our advocate, our guide, and our counselor. May we go forth this week with boldness, with confidence, walking in your grace, knowing that you walk with us. Amen.